on this episode of Trumpet Dynamics. That it's only got three buttons. This is easy. Exactly. I was, yeah, I only have to read one line of music at a time. Instinct or intuition or, or some sort of, I don't know what it was. I just walked in and it was just like a very strong feeling. It was almost like a deja vu sort of feeling. Like this is going to happen. My teacher, like the name didn't jump out at me. But then the following year when I got the same piece of paper, there was an update and then it said Laurie Frank. And I was like, that's it. Welcome to Trumpet Dynamics, telling the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. My name is James Newcomb, and I am your host. Welcome to the show today. I am sharing with you an interview that actually occurred over three years ago. I believe it was in April of 2018, if my memory serves me correctly. And I want to play this for you today because this episode was so good. The story was so it's just inspiring about a Nadia Nordhaus and her humble beginnings in Australia, overcoming adversity, challenges in her life, and then coming to the United States and just just making something of herself and just doing really well um, as a jazz trumpeter. And she's just done, I mean, what, what else can you say? She's made it happen. And I, I was so glad to be able to speak with her. However... Due to some circumstances in my own personal life, which essentially was turned upside down shortly after I did the interview with Nadia, uh, this this interview was taken down off of the podcast feed. I mean, I I, I was going through a divorce. I was just, I think I left my, the person who's now my ex-wife shortly after this, uh, this interview took place. And my personal life just wasn't just wasn't ideal at the time, and uh, it caused me to put some of the projects that I was working on, such as this show, on the back burner for a time. And uh, sadly, the interview just didn't get the attention and the, the just the the limelight that it deserved. And so I was thinking about it, and kind of kind of kind of sorry that what had happened that it was taken down and more people couldn't listen to it. So I want to share it with you today. It's, it's, it's just really good. Now, speaking of previous episodes of this podcast that have been recorded over the years, I have about probably about 80% of the archives of the podcast available on my mobile app. There are some episodes that I did, they're, they're just not relevant, and I quite frankly don't think that people would really find them very useful here in 2021, but a lot of them, there's a lot of gems were shared over the years, and I now have them available on my mobile app, and they're all free to consume. The Trumpet Dynamics show, another show I did uh, called Secrets of the Musical Mind, which interviewed a bunch of trumpeters and sharing their times when things didn't go very well for them, how they recovered from it, uh, what makes them tick, a little Q&A as to how, how they prepare and get ready to perform at a high level. They're all available on the mobile app. And it's all free. So if you want to check it out and start binge listening to some of these really fantastic interviews, all you have to do is go to jamesnewcombontrumpet.com slash app. That's jamesnewcombontrumpet.com forward slash app. There is a very short sign up process. You have to uh, start a new account 
with uh, the platform that I use called Learnistic, just like you do with YouTube and Facebook. You have to start a new account, but it takes you 30 seconds, maybe a minute, and, um, and, then, and then you've got access into it. It's just that easy. So jamesnukemontrumpet.com slash APP. Get listening, binge listening. Take like a weekend and just listen to all those interviews. They're really, really good. And uh, just makes me so grateful that I've been able to be a part of this show and, and get people that I ordinarily wouldn't get to talk to, but I get to talk to them and share them with y'all. So jamesnukemontrumpet.com slash app. All right, so let's get on to the show. Nadia Nordhaus uh, can be found on the web at NadiaNordhaus.com. Her name is spelled N-A-D-J-E. That's first name. Last name is N-O-O-R-D-H-U-I-S. NadiaNordhaus.com. Check her out. She's a really friendly gal, as you're about to, as you're about to hear. Uh, listen to some of her stuff on her website. Check her out on YouTube. Up to some really great things. So enjoy it. Nadia, great to meet you. Looking at your chipper and smiling face, the blue laugh. <laughs> the blue laugh, yes. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> What's the story behind this photo? My, I used to live with a fashion photographer, and uh-huh. so she was the one that, that took the photo. And we wanted like a little – I had all my hair done, and so they wanted like some movement. So we actually had her brother was fanning me with a uh-huh. big piece of cardboard, and it was just <sighs> – ridiculous i'm the type to be like easily amused so i was just cracking up and that was the photo that was taken and was actually just recently plastered over a a small town in switzerland this town called murray promoter of the geek had all these posters like everywhere you would go like on the bank like the stationery store everywhere was like this blue laugh picture it was hysterical i I would be in an elevator and and people would start there would be my picture and then people would be pointing and then pointing at me and then speaking to me in german and i was just (laughs) shaking my hand and i'm like i'm like yeah it was very funny the definition of awkward, having people laughing at you and pointing at you, speaking in a yes. different language. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. I'm like, I, I don't want to get used to this. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading your bio, and I love this. Started very early on the piano, a mm-hmm. little bit of tragedy, and that's what led you to take up the trumpet. Yeah, I had a really amazing piano teacher, so I, I started at the Yamaha Music School when I was about three. And so she was my, my teacher up until I was a, about seven, going into third grade. And unfortunately, she and her husband were killed in a car accident, and he was a trumpet player. So I had the option in third grade of learning a band instrument. So it was either trumpet, trombone, flute, or clarinet. So naturally, I chose the trumpet. And when I played it, I played like a, like a C scale straight away and I'm like oh this is easy <laughs> I'm like <laughs> I was so wrong it was like okay how many yeah it was yeah a mistake <laughs> so you looked it's not easy the trumpet and said it's only got three buttons this is easy exactly I was like, yeah I only have to read one line of music at a time yeah I just got to press these three buttons and notes come out this is easy I'm like wow okay <laughs> speaking of Top 10 things that Nadia has gotten wrong in her life. <laughs> Number one, <laughs> that trumpet is easy. So <laughs> It's interesting. There's a lot of people that I've talked to who made the exact same mistake. Right. 
<laughs> That's good. It's good to know you're in bad company. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that you regret making that decision. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I have tried to give it up many times, but it just keeps coming back. So I. What do you mean always... trying to give it up? There's been times in my life that I didn't play at all. So, like when I left. I didn't do music at school, but I did music outside of school. So there was a, a school big band that sort of went semi-pro after the conductor left. So I was still involved in that band, but I didn't do anything else with music at school. I did like woodwork and Japanese and random things. But my first degree was in sound. So I did music production and music industry studies and multimedia and, and lived in a little hippie town. And so when I I moved out of Sydney. I moved, I think it was like 400 miles north of Sydney in this little town to study. That was the only college that offered sound engineering as a degree. So when I left, I didn't take my trumpet with me. Like mm. I didn't play for the first six months. And then I saw an ad up in the music department saying that they somebody wanted a trumpet player because the town was so small that there was no trumpet players. And vocalist wanted a trumpet player on her recital. And so I got my trumpet sent up and I played on the recital. And then in the next year and a half, I played on like 45 recitals. And I had I was in this funk band and I played more than my sound engineering teacher thought that I was a trumpet major. And I, I was <laughs> like, I, there is no trumpet major. There's no trumpet teacher. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm the only trumpet player in town. Yeah, so it was fortuitous. But at the time, I was like, no, I'm still going to be a sound engineer. I'm not a musician. I'm just doing this to like, earn some money. So, but, uh, Definitely had that scarcity factor working in your favor. Yes. Yes, indeed. Only yeah. act in town. So who else mm -hmm. are you going to call except for Nadia? Exactly. I know. It was like a sort of good move there on my part. Not that I knew it at the time. But. Did you play trumpet all through high school and you just said, eh, I'm going to pursue something else? Yeah, pretty much. Like I wanted a I wanted a job with a bit of security. And I mean, a job I, playing trumpet doesn't have security. <laughs> oh my goodness, wouldn't that be nice? Top ten jobs that don't have security. Yeah. Number one that I found out was sound engineering because I couldn't find work, and the job that I did have, I lost, and so I was like, if there's no security in this, then I may as well do something that I think would be really fun to do which would be study music so then I went back to college and mm -hmm. did a degree in improv in Melbourne yeah you but, seem to have been able to get a little bit of security like you're a pretty busy yeah, gal I am and which I'm very thankful for and, and things are it's taken a while mm -hmm. <laughs> I, might, right. I might add but I think I think Things are pretty good. It's a nice balance of teaching and playing and I can live, I can pay my bills, save some money, do all that adulting. Yeah, everything's a nice time right now. So hopefully it will last. <laughs> That's the hope. So what uh, brought you to New York originally? I went to New York to study my master's at Manhattan School of Music. Okay. So that's that's what. So you moved from Australia to New York. For I that. did. Yes, I had come to New York just for a holiday, in between my third and fourth year in Melbourne, and then fortuitously met up with certain people, and one of them said, "You should come to Manhattan School and study your masters." And I was like, "That is hysterical because I don't have any money, and that's just I can't." relocate but anyway the sort of the seed was planted and and 
I remember walking into the school and just getting this feeling like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to go here. Mm. And it was this sort of crazy sort of harebrained scheme <laughs> involving like grants and traveling. I ended up traveling to Amsterdam to meet the dean of the school because I couldn't meet him then. But the, he had a summer workshop in Amsterdam. So I got a grant and went to Amsterdam and then made sure I played. In fact, like it was this whole sort of crazy scheme. It's, it's so bizarre that it actually worked. But there was, all, it's funny, like looking back, all these steps had to happen in order for it to actually work out. And thankfully it, it did. But yeah, I got some scholarships and some grants from back home and mm. a mum grant and a dad grant. <laughs> <laughs> Very kindly. Oh my goodness. So yeah, so then 18 months later, I moved to New York and started my master's degree. So all a bit of a, a whirlwind, but it actually happened. So you visited the Manhattan School of Music and you just said something clicked yeah. in you and said, I have to be yes. here. What what yes. was it about the uh, uh, environment there that you, know, I, was, you found it attractive? Was, it was just sort of like a gut feeling. I tend to just go with like instinct or intuition or, or some sort of, I don't know what it was, hmm. but I I just walked in and it was just like a very strong feeling. It was almost like a deja vu sort of feeling, like this is going to happen. It was weird. I was like, yeah, I didn't get – I remember walking into Juilliard and I walked into the the lobby and I, I felt nothing. But then I walked into Manhattan School I was like, oh, no, this is – something's going to happen. Yeah, it was a weird sort of – not psychic, but a weird sort of in, – in, yeah, intuition. So. There's definitely something to that sixth sense leads you to and away from things. Yes. Have you yeah. ever experienced anything like that prior to that? I feel like the decisions that I made, like the decision to move to this little tiny town to study sound, like that, I just had a feeling that those were the right decisions to make, but I didn't have that sort of, and no, I didn't have something quite like that before that I I can recall, but I remember always just being very sure of my decisions and I could make decisions very quickly and then stick to them. For example, when I, I lost my my sound engineering job, I was distributing radio commercials. That was as close a, a, a job in the sound industry that I could get. And when I lost that, I went to my friend's place. I'm like, what am I going to do? And she's like, why don't you move to Melbourne and study trumpet? And I was like, that's a great idea. I'll move in a month. And that's exactly what I did. Like I could just make snap decisions and feel like, yes, that's the right decision to do. Yeah, I don't know. But in terms of getting like a deja vu, oh, no, this is going to happen. That never happened. And I don't think it's happened since that I can recall. Wow. Yeah, it was just like a one-off sort of <laughs> one-off thing perhaps. So it's like Manhattan just had you, – you just – felt something it's and it's not like you walked into Juilliard and then said ah, something's off here it's right. not like it was just better than Juilliard it's just, it was just the right, right place for you at that time yeah yeah <laughs> and I I didn't know why it wasn't as if the lobby was particularly gorgeous or glamorous or something it was just like a feeling or a hunch that there was something and I think even when I was going through the process of actually applying and doing all these applications and, and filling out all these forms and I was still I was questioning like why what is the draw like why am I so drawn to this school I don't really know anything about it apart from just walking in the building and 
setting down, going down this path. Even when I was looking at the teacher list, there was, I think, like Randy Brecker was on the list and there's some other sort of a Lou Soloff. And I was like, yeah, they, I'm sure that would be great. But there was just, my teacher didn't, like the name didn't jump out at me. But then the following year when I, I got the same piece of paper, there was an update and then it said Laurie Frink. And I was like, that's it. She's it. This is it. And I'd only seen Laurie's name in this book called Madame Jazz, which was all about women instrumentalists. And she was, there was like the start of the chapter on brass, I think, that it was about Laurie Frink. So I'd read about her. I'd never heard her. I'd never heard her play. But I just had this feeling. I was like, no, I have to study with her, and which was like the best thing ever. Yeah. Cool. We should get Laurie <laughs> yeah. on the podcast. It would be lovely, but unfortunately she passed away a couple of years ago. But That's a de- yes. deterrent for sure. <laughs> it's a deterrent. It's a deterrent. But I actually run um, a grant in her name, the Laurie Frink Career Grant, with her partner, Lois Martin. So I administrate uh, this grant. It's a $10,000 grant to a young brass player under the age of 25. Really? It's based in the U.S. every two years. It's, so you're responsible for who receives this grant? Yeah. I'm, or you have a part I'm, of it? There's a panel. Okay. Yeah, there's a panel. So that's one of the things that is sort of a pretty valuable, I don't know, a very valuable part of my life. And then there's the Laurie Frink Brass Summit. So we, I organized a group of maybe around 20 brass players that gather together. Because Laurie was such a, like an incredible brass teacher everybody studied with her and she studied from with Caruso so there's sort of this amazing methodology and there was a, such a high level of caring in her studio that so many people feel lost without her and so this is a really great way of people to remember her and they people tell stories and then we talk about brass techniques and top secret trumpet business and it's great so we try and run about three of those a year we're running a little bit behind this year but we'll see what happens let's get the chronology correct so you go you visit the manhattan school of music and you're visiting mm-hmm. schools in new mm-hmm. was it all in new york yes like you wanted to be in new york i i was just there for a, a vacation oh, i okay. had no i had no plans of moving to new york to study at all when i first it was like right at the end that someone had suggested it and okay. said you should go speak to the dean I'm like oh, i'm leaving tomorrow <laughs> but <laughs> i did it was that final day and i just walked in i think i just went to juilliard went to juilliard first because that was closer to where i was staying and i walked in and i was like you walk into manhattan and you just have this okay this is where i belong yeah and then you find out later that Lori frink is going to be teaching there yes was that after you got accepted i think it was yes huh. so, so i was just blindly going along with this feeling and I was like what I wanted was a teacher that I would really connect with because I'd had so many like every year of my undergrad I swapped teachers just trying to Mm -hmm. find the right teacher for me and I just couldn't find them I even tried like a non-trumpet I started with a piano teacher and I wasn't playing piano I was playing trumpet but just something different I just yeah I guess I was just trying to find like the right mentor or just somebody to guide me in the right path. But I've heard um, a lot of trumpet players say that non-trumpet players have had a really profound impact on them as teachers mm-hmm. and mentors. So you're just yeah. looking for the right person. 
and yeah, didn't find yeah. it in college, and then you go to Manhattan, of all places, mm-hmm. and there's Lori Frank. Mm-hmm. There she is, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you had a really cooler relationship with her. It was, yeah, it was fantastic. We got along really well, and the funny thing is in lessons, we didn't actually play. I didn't play that much. Mm-hmm. It, we basically just chatted for like 55 minutes, <laughs> and then maybe a little bit of playing, and then that was it. But she was, they say she's almost... They called her trumpet mom, but mm. she was almost like a therapist or something. You could just talk with her. You always felt better. And everyone says this, like 100% of people that studied with her say you leave her lesson feeling so much better than you did when you walk in. That was true for everybody. So she's so, not just a trumpet teacher. She's like a life teacher and uses trumpet yeah. as the means of teaching life. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. It was deep. It was very cool. I was very lucky to, yeah, study with her for two years, and yeah. <laughs> well, I'm 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 going to ask this, and this is totally off the cuff. I just had this idea mm-hmm. while we're mm-hmm. having this conversation, but mm-hmm. I had this idea of doing a podcast devoted to Lori Frink, and maybe you, oh, and wow. maybe some others could talk about her. Would you be up for that? Yeah. Not right yeah. now, obviously, but yeah, yeah, sometime no, in the future. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would be very interesting. In fact, it's been done already. Dave Douglas has a, a podcast, and we did a panel, and yeah, like a panel discussion. Oh, okay. So, I'm, I'm going you know. to do it better than Dave Douglas. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm a trumpet player. I'm better than you. <laughs> I'm looking at your bio, and I see a lot of, I guess, you don't really have anything that's like really traditional. You went to school and you studied trumpet, mm-hmm. and obviously you've done well with it, but I don't see anything mm-hmm. like you played the trumpet shell sound in the Messiah. I don't see you <laughs> played the Haydn trumpet concerto. Like you, you just have this really eclectic taste in music. Yeah, I didn't, like when I was studying trumpet when I was in high school, like, like in private lessons, we would have to do these exams. And so the, I did some classical training in that, but it was just whatever tunes were on the tune list for the exam. So it wasn't as if I listened. And I think my mom had a CD of the Haydn Trumpet Concerto, and mm-hmm. so she would make me play along with it or something like that. But I wasn't really interested in right. that. That didn't move me in any way. Yeah, I don't know. And even my introduction to jazz, even when I started my degree, I only had heard, I had two jazz albums? No, I had three. I had blue which is is, if you're going to have one jazz album it should be that one and then take five dave brubeck and then also the but my very first two records were what is it the charlie parker the the movie about charlie parker the the bird movie Mm -hmm. but it was a soundtrack so they had overdubbed they'd lifted like charlie parker and put him in with a modern rhythm section so (laughs) so that was unusual but that was one CD that I had, and the other one was Miles Davis' Doobop, which is his like super late Miles mm-hmm. when he's going electric. And it wasn't until I was studying, I was like, oh, Miles did this other stuff too? <laughs> <laughs> Not, he wasn't just like an electric groovy. This was for, Oh, he could do this other stuff. He could play bebop? Oh, I didn't know that. So it was this very, I'm just coming from everything from just like completely skewed like a weird, very strange way. But I 
yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah, what I really love, though, is like anything on the ECM record label, like that is the music that moves me. Like I still remember the first time I heard Kenny Wheeler, like I was on a train and maybe that was like, again, there was that whole sort of that intuition of I'm like, something is happening, like something, this is, there's a connection here. And yeah, I was hearing his Kind Folk hmm. song on, what's it? I forget the name of the album now. I'm having a blank angel, an angel song. Yeah. So I guess you're, history as a musician is in jazz but you've taken your foundation uh, mm -hmm. with some of the greats like miles davis and mm -hmm. you just created your own sound out of what you learned i guess so like i never really gave it much thought mm -hmm. <laughs> i just did what i did like i didn't think that i would be into writing music mm -hmm. but then when i was in as part of my undergrad you had to write tunes and then we would perform them with an ensemble sort of that week so there was an emphasis on creating your own voice like mm -hmm. we didn't have a list of standards that we had to learn we just had to write some music so it was for me it was almost just like an approximation of everything that I had heard which wasn't a lot and I didn't really know I didn't have that much music theory knowledge so I was just bumbling my way through and just use it. I used my ear more than my theoretical knowledge because I, I didn't have any. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I just created my own approach, I suppose. But I, I feel like a lot of people say that it's like very classically influenced, even though I'm like, but I didn't really study that much classical trumpet. But then I'm like, oh, but hold on. I did play classical piano for a really long time. <laughs> so. Uh -huh that did, you know, play into it as well. All right, Nadia, I started out the podcast with uh, the song that you sent me called Mayfair, and from what I understand, mm -hmm. that's from your first album, is that correct? That's from my first record, yes. Nice. So it's a little bit old, it's five years old. I, I love it because it's, first of all, you have fantastic musicians, in addition to yourself, but I, I just, I guess I listened to it and I thought there's just a hint of Celtic music in there. Yeah, I did this music residency in 2007 at the Omai International Arts Center, and it's held upstate New York in this little town called Ghent. Okay. And what they do is they get about 12 musicians from around the world that do completely different things. When I was there, there was an Irish flutist, a French flamenco guitarist, a South African minimalist composer, American percussionist. There was singer-songwriters and I think the Japanese pianist. So basically they miscurate it. So everyone is mismatched and okay. then you just, they throw them all together for three weeks and they go, okay, <laughs> go make music. So I think when I was there, I played a lot of sessions with the, the Irish musician and I just love that mu music. And I remember she would, we all bought penny whistles and she was teaching us like little Irish jigs on the penny whistle. And it was just beautiful. And I, my grandmother was Irish, and there's a, a connection there to the place and the music that it just always, I just loved. And so that Mayfair was just my attempt at writing something with an Irish vibe. Mm -hmm. It sounds great. I, I really liked it. And Okay, so not only are you a fantastic trumpet player, but you are a pretty well-accomplished composer. Let's go. just go through the list here. New Music Ensemble mm -hmm. Exhaust. Yeah, that was something. It doesn't exist anymore, but 
we did a series of concerts in New York and I, I wrote a piece for that and in fact I just did an arrangement of that piece for my new quintet that just recorded a live record in Switzerland so we actually start the set with this song but it's completely different and it's got electronics playing this little ostinato pattern and then it's got a lever harp so again with this sort of Irish <laughs> connection <laughs> the the quintet has harp trumpet guitar electric bass and James Ship who plays duo with me in our duo setting but then he plays a synths and percussion in this ensemble so that's mm. the new my new band yeah <laughs> so so this is the exhaust that you're talking about or this is oh, this is no, a different this, band that's that yeah that's a okay. different band so that Got happened it. yeah what's the quite name of your, what's back. the name of your new band it's just Nadia Nordhaus Quintet oh Nadia Nordhaus yeah. Quintet mhm cool i want to know about touring with the Maria Schneider Orchestra. I haven't heard mm. like anything about this, so this is new for me. Can you tell us a little bit about Maria Schneider? What kind of music do you do? What's your role with them? I've only been a member of the band for a couple of years, but it's been running for over 20 years, I think. And Maria is probably, I would say, the greatest big band composer in the world. <laughs> She's unbelievable, and she's won, I think, five Grammys, and her music is absolutely, utterly gorgeous. It's beautiful, and many of the members are original members, and then there's, I think I'm probably one of the newest, if not, I'm probably the newest, actually, now mm -hmm. I think about it. But yeah, everyone's incredible. All the soloists are unbelievable, and I'm actually playing my teacher's book. I'm, t I'm playing Laurie's book. Laurie was in it from the beginning. So, yeah, so it's very special. I can see Laurie's handwriting on mm. certain things. Wow. I can hear it's deep and I can hear like her, her voice like telling me. Yeah, it's amazing. That was always a, a dream for me, like when I moved to New York. And I would go hear her every year that she does this week at the Jazz Standard, which is a club on East 27th Street. And so I, I would go down every year and, and just hear it. I'm like, this music is amazing. I, I want to play in this band one day. And I, I have every year I sort of write a list of things that I want um, or bands that I want to play with or things that I want to achieve. And she was always on the list. Like, I want to play with Maria. I want to play with Maria. And then I was like, this is never going to happen because it was like 12, 12 years later. I want to play with Maria. But I felt like I was playing in every other big band in New York, but not Maria's band. And then finally I got the call, which was brilliant. Wow. <laughs> so you just hung in there and they finally gave I you the call. I just hung in there. Yes. Because I was like, I've always, I love her music. And I was like, my feel, like my sound. I was like, I could. This would be a perfect fit for me. This is, I would love it. Like, why do you think they called you over the plethora of other trumpet players in New York? It's a good question. I don't. I felt like I'd been recommended by mm -hmm. a bunch of people over the years, and so I'd been wondering. And I don't know why they called me. I'm very glad they did, and I'm glad she kept me. But I don't know. I'd had a lot of experience playing in big bands and yeah. and I have a, a certain sound. Maybe somebody had a gut feeling. <laughs> Maybe, hopefully. You, you're <laughs> coming down here to North Carolina next weekend and uh, Durham and then Wilmington. So do you guys tour a lot? How, how many gigs does Maria Schneider 
orchestra do? It depends. Okay. It, de- it depends on the, on the year. And we've, we've, we've already done a bit of traveling this year. And last year we went to Japan. Yeah, and we've got some other dates in the book. We've got a couple of runs in New York. Yeah, it's, it, varies. it varies. So it's like a full big band, four trumpets, four trombones, saxes, everything. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, that's got to be expensive, truck all that around. But Absolutely. I was talking with Chris Coletti of the Canadian Brass a couple of weeks ago. And he oh, said, wow. We were talking about expanding the Canadian Brass, like just playing around with that idea. Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, but five people can fit in one van if we had any more. Then <laughs> it's logistics. I, it's not tradition. It's logistics. Yes. <laughs> yep. I love it. I love it. Yeah. We need a bus, like a full-size bus. Wow. To travel so yeah it's not a cheap undertaking that's for sure and i'm very glad that i don't have to organize it <laughs> 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 i've got the good job i just get to play the music and hang out with all these great people yeah what part do you play you i play asking. i'm just trying to think of which what, <laughs> what which part i do play i play third trumpet okay yeah the for players. years tony cadillac plays lead and he plays a lot of Broadway shows and he is like, the greatest lead player in the world in my opinion. He's unbelievable. Greg Gisbert shares the lead book and also plays second and he's incredible as well. Mike Rodriguez plays fourth trumpet and takes a lot of the solos and Greg does a lot, a lot of the solos as well. And just as a section, to me, this is like my dream section because everybody – like the intonation is perfect. Every phrase has shape. All the cutoffs are together. It's like one. It's like a unit, and it's beautiful. It's great. It's really fun. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Would you say that you are like? What's the balance between playing trumpet and doing other things, say composing or maybe teaching? What What is the balance? Do you think? It changes every year, mm-hmm. but for the last couple of years, it's been maybe 50-50 playing and teaching. Mm-hmm. So I teach private lessons in trumpet and piano, and I teach at the pre-college at Manhattan School of Music on a Saturday, so the young, the youngsters, all the very talented youngsters. And yeah, and then other than that, I do gigs with big bands and small groups and then my, my own thing. So I usually just write for my own groups sometimes for other people but that's yeah not as common so yeah it's a good it's a good balance every day is yeah usually a little bit of teaching and a little bit of playing trumpet dynamics tells the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it it also tells my own story Join me on this journey through the world of making music and making life at jamesnewcombontrumpet.com. I have blogs, videos, event calendar, and much more. And of course, if you just want to access this great podcast, just remember the URL, trumpetdynamics.com, and you're off to the races. Looking forward to the next time. Be well. <laughs>